Through Balper and the Team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. The lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest in this edition of the program. As he does every two weeks, Eric Longenhagen here endeavors to analyze all prospects of particular note this week. The Fall Stars game, that is the All-Stars game for the Arizona Fall League, occurred this past weekend. Eric Longenhagen was there. I asked him about two performances in particular, those belonging to Tampa Bay right-handed prospect Brent Honeywell and Boston Red Sox right-handed prospect Michael Kopech. I do not limit my inquiries to the Fall Stars game specifically, but to Honeywell's and Kopech's prospect profiles more broadly. Of course, it is also impossible to ignore the excellent work Eric Longenhagen has done for his first three prospect reports. These are the names for his organizational prospect list that he has released over the past week, including the Arizona Diamondbacks, San Francisco Giants, and San Diego Padres. Ask Longenhagen, for example, about the surfeit, the panoply of recently signed international prospects for the San Diego Padres, and also perhaps the most divisive prospect over the course of the first three lists, that is outfield prospect Austin Slater of the San Francisco Giants, who receives somewhat promising projection, according to Chris Mitchell's Cato projection system, but lacks really anything in the way of a standout tool. We also discuss a very interesting prospect, that is Willie Calhoun of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who has a very strong offensive profile, but perhaps no defensive home. His body type also requires Eric Longenhagen to look deep into his Pennsylvania childhood. In Pennsylvania, he's built like one of the women that make the pierogies for the church festivals. More amusing illusions like that one to follow. What does not follow is a sponsor's message. Were there a sponsor's message, it would come courtesy SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com. However, there is not a sponsor's message, so instead we move directly to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Exhausting mm-hmm. that th- these two have sort of taken something that was already kind of inherently awful and ruined it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Ugh. Um, it's fun. Well, as you mentioned, you're. Uh, I wasn't necessarily going to start here, but you are. Okay. A, you are a resident of Arizona, mm-hmm. and which is not only where the Arizona Fall League takes place. It's not just a clever name, that league. Uh, but I believe also the Fall Stars game recently took place. Is that true? Yes. Can you, with word pictures, can you take me to the Fall Stars game, and can you uh, essentially create a highlights package with your words? Uh, sure, yeah. The uh, Arizona Fall League All-Star game, the Fall Stars game for short, was in surprise this year. Where it's it's not typically held. It's usually, I think, at Salt River Fields in the East Valley. So it was a considerable drive for most of the people that live on the East Valley, which is just you know, more heavily populated with scouts this time of year. And uh, so it was a little bit of a hike for everybody. And it was gorgeous. It was packed. I think there were 6,000 people there yesterday, which was great to see. Um, 
I was there for batting practice, and it was a who's who of scouts and executives there. Uh, AJ Preller was there, Pat Gillick was there, Tom McNamara, the the Mariners uh, uh, special assistant, former scouting director was there, and those guys were just like sitting in the same row. <laughs> so um, it's it's a big deal. It's because anytime you have a chance to see these players up against what like a high, a high density collection of talent. Uh, one after another, I, it's really beneficial to see Kristen Stewart and Eloy Jimenez hit in the cage one after another to just like compare monster raw power. And I would ask you uh, if you could, because um, you know these sorts of things, not everyone else does. If you could, uh, for example, you note Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could, Kristen just give Stewart, a- Kristen Stewart, the Tiger Tigers outfielder who had uh, who had twenty eight or thirty home runs in the minors this year, and Eloy Jimenez. What, arguably the most raw power projection in the minor leagues right now, uh, who's you know, just a massive Cubs outfielder who put on quite a show at the Futures game as well, and is uh, young, one of the younger players in the fall league this year. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's um, and then the parade of pitching that is, is you know the is customary for All Star games and prospect All Star games are not excluded from that uh, was a little tiresome towards the end. But it's fun to see, you know, 20 guys come in for an inning or less than that in some cases and just air it out and see what they can do when they're, they're not concerned about their pitch counts. They're not worried about working efficiently. They're just throwing as hard as they can and, and just sort of seeing what they can, what they can come up with. Uh, so it's, it's a unique environment. It's not necessarily conducive to great scouting for a lot of reasons because the, the looks are so abbreviated. But it's it's a fun event, and they've been doing it now for like going on a decade. The fall league's twenty five years old now, and it just seems to be more and more well attended every year, not just by fans but by decision makers in the industry. Question: How is this? How is this event different than the futures game? the The futures game, the futures game definitely has a a, a better collection of talent because the restrictions for picking the players. There, there aren't any really. Uh, it's just the the two the, the one thing about the futures game that makes uh, the, you'll see inferior prospects in the futures game sometimes is just because of roster requirements and uh, geographic requirements sort of aligning in ways that aren't good. Like it's the world team rarely has a really good first base prospect because it's just in the Dominican Republic and in Venezuela they make shortstops there. They don't make big hulking first baseman like they do here as often. Uh, so like it's hard sometimes to find a first baseman for that team. But like for the Fall Stars game, it's just guys on the Arizona Fall League rosters. So it's, you know, that's all you have to pick from, which is why some of the middle relievers come in and throw like 91, 92 and aren't really great prospects. But, you know, you still have a handful of guys littered in there. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, because like Max Schrock – and, mm. and and players like that who are in the fall league who are interesting for reasons that are be, go beyond just their raw talent and tools like that this is an opportunity for those types of players to to become you know be on the national stage so yeah it was like a lot of fun watching Michael Kopech throw 101 last night and watching Brent Honeywell touch 98 and throw five other different pitches like that's a lot of fun. But to see uh, Taylor Rogers from the Giants come in with a submarine delivery 
in the same game as those guys in like an all-star game setting. Like that's that's fun too and that's definitely not a thing you'd get with the Futures game. So maybe you don't necessarily see a, a uniformity of of plus tools that right. you would from the Futures game. Yeah, like however you Dawel Lugo took grounders during infield at shortstop yesterday. <laughs> so like it's not <laughs> this isn't quite like the Futures game where uh, it's the cream of the crop at every position. Arizona prospect. Arizona yeah. prospect Dava Luga. Yes, I'm sorry. That's just true. It's okay. It's okay, Eric. <laughs> Eric, you – I understand that you are out there on the front lines yeah. of prospect analysis. You are frequently in dialogue with people, corresponding with people for whom uh, these names are uh, very familiar and it's merely my job to act as a surrogate mm-hmm. for are the, those listeners who are perhaps busy executives or parents or um, just dumb, just not that smart, <laughs> <laughs> just not too sharp, and just needed, um, just needed, you know, a little bit more of context. I'll try to be better. So I'm just doing my job while you're doing yours. Okay. It's kind of like in the movie Heat. You know, one of us is Robert De Niro, and the other is Al Pacino. No, no, I don't know. One of us is Al Pacino, and the other, and the is, other Val is Kilmer. Is Val Kilmer? Mm-hmm. And I think we know who, which one of us is Val Kilmer. Yeah. Al Pacino. Right? Al Pacino is Val Kilmer. Yeah. No, Al Pacino. <laughs> Listen, did you see Max Schrock and did he play in the Fall Stars? No, game? he wasn't in the Fall Stars game, but um, it's just like uh, there there are players like. That. Mm-hmm. So. I t- t- uh, Brett Brett Honeywell. Mm-hmm. Brett Honeywell is a pitcher in the uh, Tampa Bay system. B Honeywell Brent. We'll call him Brent. How about? Uh, let's pretend that he's left-handed. Should we? No. No, we shouldn't. Let's mm-hmm. pretend he's right-handed. Let's say for sure that he's right-handed. He's definitely right-handed. Uh, he made his major league debut this year, I think. Maybe nope. not a particularly successful one. No. <laughs> it's very possible that I'm imagining – I'm conflating him so, with another Tampa Bay Rays prospect. I Are you thinking about like Snell maybe? Yeah, I could be thinking about Blake Snell. Yeah. Which BL. I think I could be excused for that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Think of Blake Snell. Brent Honeywell. Here's how I – here's my interest in Brent Honeywell. You, you just mentioned 98. Uh, he also seems to have recorded five strikeouts in two innings during the Fall Stars game. In addition to yeah. all of this, I saw some note somewhere, a fleeting maybe note on Twitter, that he also has exhibited uh, some command of a screwball. Yeah. Tell me about that because I think only of the excellent pitchers, certainly among starters, I think only Hector Santiago throws one and it's pretty infrequent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Honeywell has – I think effectively like six different pitches <laughs> and he threw all of them in two innings last night. And yeah, it's a lot of fun because the screwball, the screwball is like 79, 80, 81. And then he also has a, a straight, like a, a plain old change up in like the 82, 84 range. And so they're kind of, it's fun to try to distinguish between the two of them, uh, during games. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like 94 plus was up to 98 through strikes yesterday. Uh, like a below average mid seventies curveball, the change up, the screwball, 
and uh, he can cut the fastball, he can make the fastball sink, and I think there's, I'm pretty sure that there's like an, an 88 to 91 mile an hour slider in there too. Like it's 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 hard to scout because number one, the screwball is hard to scout because everything that and I was talking with some scouts about this today actually on a panel here at uh, First Pitch Arizona, uh, of which like Eno and stuff uh, were they were Paul Sporer and Eno Sars were parts of this as well. So I was asking the scouts on this panel today, how the hell do you scout a screwball because you have to have context. And grade a pitch against major league average, and uh, so I was asking them how you do that with a thing like a screwball that you don't see very often, and they just sort of said that you have to just judge the way hitters react to it. And uh, Honeywell's screwball crossed up the umpire last night on what we all thought was just a, you know a strike three backdoor screwball. The umpire just kind of froze because it was just so preposterously nasty. So, you know, I assume what is it? This we're talking about the the, the arm side movement then. Yeah, so it, it he'll throw it across his body, and it'll look like it's going to be away a ball away from right-handed hitters, and then mm-hmm. it uh, it runs back over the plate on the outside corner like uh, like a two seam fastball, but except it's eighty miles an hour and has like weird off the table movement. Um, so yeah, it's it's a freaky pitch. Um, I do think it's his best secondary pitch, and uh, he the way he described it, Eno told me, this is third hand from Eno, because I talked to Eno after the game, uh, and Eno said that, uh, yeah, like the guy says that he doesn't even really throw it hard, he doesn't snap it off real hard uh, with the sort of wrist action you need to generate that weird sort of spin on the ball, it's just a grip thing, and he releases it, and it, it, it just moves, it's sort of bizarre. Uh, but yeah, now, like he, can you tell me? Can you tell me a little bit about? Because so this is already this is an oddity. This is a rough edge on a prospect, right? Now, and mm-hmm. I don't mean a rough edge, and to say that like it's not polished. I mean to say that this is like a. Well, I know that when impressionists sometimes discuss the, the how like how they go about creating an impression, they say that they're looking for a handle, right? Yeah, something that is a distinct yeah. characteristic, Some sort of musicality, right? Or, or and, and, pattern or rhythm, yeah. And so this is like a this is in some way this is like a handle on on him in terms of interest you might one might have in him. Um, uh, the, the screwball is not a uh, not a particularly <clears throat> common pitch as I say. Uh, so I already want to pursue him. He came out uh, he he came out of Walters State Community College. Yeah, can, this- can you give a little bit of a sense of his of his uh, path? He was, he was, it just sounds like it was, he was underscouted in general. And Tampa just really liked him. And they, they, I mean, they took him in the second round. But as far as media types at the time were concerned, and this was really the first draft I covered, like, I didn't know who he was. Um, so yeah, like he, it's, he just sort of popped out of nowhere, at least for me. And I think a lot of uh, people in the media just seem like the 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 Rays did a good job of sort of keep playing this one close to the vest. And what has he what has he shown in the meantime? I mean, has he always been this? Because it also looks like, uh, in terms of his pro- his prospect ratings, he didn't really break into top one hundreds until until uh, this past off season. Uh, I mean, as far as I've known about him, it's it's just been. I think I think part of the problem is that because there were so many pitches there that there was no obvious 
major league out pitch initially. I think there were some people who were skeptical about the screwball's long-term viability, probably wanted him to scrap it and just throw the fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. Uh, and when you're, I think when you're working with a repertoire that deep and you're 19, 20 years old, as Honeywell was when he entered pro ball, that it's just hard to give each offering the, the reps that it needs to progress. If you're a three pitch guy and you're 19, you can, you can work your two secondaries into your starts often enough that they'll develop. But when you're throwing six different pitches, how do you do that? Cause you're literally split, like if you just split them up evenly, they're all seeing half as many reps. And I think everyone agrees that reps are important to development. You can't just let a guy sit and expect his curveball to get better. Like that's just not how things work. So, so, well, you mentioned so this is actually interesting, right? You mentioned that the size of a repertoire, a repertoire could essentially be too big. Uh, obviously, we I see think, the other. Do you think that's problem, true, though? Other, uh, well, let me. I'm all. What I'm doing right now is I'm attempting to say what I'm hearing. This is okay. a <laughs> is obviously a repertoire can be too small, right? If you say we want this pitcher to be a starter, mm-hmm. he throws. He throws a, you know, at least an average fastball. He throws at least an average breaking ball. We think that that's probably. I'm speaking from the point of view of an organization. We think that this is probably not sufficient for him to be able to start, right? So he might throw a changeup. This pitcher might throw a changeup technically, but it's not an average pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's not going to be sufficient to, you know, to be effective against major leaguers. Now, maybe there is such thing as a pitcher who has. Uh, well, you're you're suggesting that maybe th- there's some concern if a guy comes in and he's got too many pitches. I'm not saying that. Uh, maybe that's not exactly what you're saying. I'm trying to clarify. And I and I do feel as though I've heard situa- heard of situations where maybe two breaking pitches resembled each other a bit too closely. Right. And therefore, and in that point, uh, the club said, "Well, why don't you scrap one of them? Focus on you know maybe focus more on this slider. Get rid of the curveball." Um, and then if you've mastered the slider, we can go back to the curveball. But but throwing both of them uh, essentially is causing you to conflate the two. I think we we hear about it a lot too with Japanese pitchers who have a pitch or two in the repertoire that is is just sort of a a lark that they throw two or three times a game. But I think with what we've seen from Kenta Maeda this year with his curveball, which I would say is probably a, a four. You know, it's like a 40 or 50 on, on the scouting scale. Just the way he uses it, has it's an effective thing for what it is, which is just like a, a surprise, get me over strike one. I just think that there's just some closed-mindedness in general about um, throwing a ton of different weird junk. There has to be... There has to be, I mean, but it must also be difficult. Like, if you're... If you're oh, yeah. If you're, if you're writing a, a report on, say... A, and maybe this doesn't exist, but say like a 21 version, 21 year old version of Kenta Maeda, and you say, well, the curveball is really nothing, and mm-hmm. yet he's got he's got good command of it at least, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't really exhibit much in the way of uh, you know bite or you know or excellent movement, depth, bite, whatever. Um, so you say, but but he uses it well. He uses he uses it intelligently. Um, I don't know. Is that that's not? I, I assume that's something that's hard to get into because you say like even as a major leaguer, he's throwing a forty curveball, and yet he's also getting good results 
So there, there has, there's a bit of a gap there, and you, that's something you have to communicate maybe more in the notes as opposed to yeah. the, the scouting grades. Yeah, uh, and I think that's something that just I've gotten better at uh, more recently is like understanding pitch utility and be at least recognizing it as like on my first look at a guy as opposed to having to, to see it over a longer period of time. Last night the at the Fall Stars game, there's a, a righty named Sam Bragg from the Athletics organization. Mm-hmm. Who it's like he's he's been a reliever here and I've seen him uh come into games and like been down the line watching hitters and stuff and like just haven't gone back behind the plate to see him until last night. And he's like ninety two, ninety four, and the delivery's very relievery. But he's got like an average to above average breaking ball and change up, and he knows how to use all of them. He was throwing his change up to righties last night, and and throwing his breaking ball for strikes against uh, some of the left-handed hitters. Like it was, that's the sort of thing that two years ago, I'm just writing the pitch velocity and what I think of the stuff in general especially in such a short look, but like to be able to see that he has the weapons to deal with both left and right-handed uh, hitters mm-hmm. as, you know, as a reliever, that's, that's a, I think a valuable thing. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that recognizing that stuff, once you get to a certain point in the minors, like high A, double A, when I think that stuff is probably, probably becomes uh, an important aspect of, of reports. I want to ask you about one other performance uh, Performance from the Fall Stars game, but also uh, more depth. I, I, I think believe the last time we spoke, you were on your way to going to see Michael Kopech. Yeah. Michael Kopech also pitched, and I think pitched quite well in the Fall Stars game. Mm-hmm. Will you share with me, with America, what you've seen about what you've seen from Michael Kopech since you've been there? Sure, Red Sox righty Michael Kopech. Oh, I love that you did it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, he of the purported 105 mile an hour fastball, uh, this season. And you know, to be honest, th- now that I've seen him, like, I totally buy it that he could do it. Uh, he's been, there's, there's some effort there in the delivery for sure. Uh, but yeah, it was 98 to 101 in his first inning last night was back down to 96 to 98 in his second inning. And people that have seen him during the season over long multi-inning starts, uh, told me that like he was certainly throwing harder last night, not just from a velocity perspective, but from an effort perspective. Uh, uh, one somebody told me that they thought he was overthrowing, uh, but he was still throwing strikes last night and put one on the corner at Ryan McMahon's knees at ninety nine. Colorado, Colorado prospect Ryan McMahon. Yep. Mm-hmm. And okay. so like the the fastball velocity combined with what. He's flashed command wise is terrifying. I've actually, I've also spoken with a scout who saw a start of Kopex this year where, God, did he throw, I think he threw like 20 of his first 30, 25 or 30 pitches were balls and left the start with a number two starter grade on him. <laughs> like, because this stuff is just so good. Um, and the slider, he threw one slider last night. That was it. Uh, so I'm sure the game is online already at this point. If people want to go find it, I'm sure, uh, MLB advanced media has put it up. Uh, so you can go watch, uh, Kopech throw and see what that's like. 
But the thing that impressed me was not the slider, although it did look good, just the one he threw, but the changeup has, has flashed above average as well. And it's weird because it's like a 90, 91 mile an hour changeup, but because you're geared up for 98 and his arm speed is so similar to the fastball, like it just, it looks like it's 85 and it moves a little bit. It's, it's, it's pretty nasty. Um, I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how confident I am in his ability to start. It's not a delivery effort thing for me. I think that in that area, like it's fine. I'd certainly live with trying to see if he could start, but just over the, the, the looks that I've had in fall league, just by nature of the fall league are, they're shorter. Um, and I, I'm very excited to do the Red Sox list and, and try to talk to some folks who have seen him pitch into the fifth, sixth, seventh inning and see where the stuff is at that point. Because there is effort to the delivery and I wonder if the stuff ticks down over 80, 90 plus pitches. Um, but it hasn't when I've seen him. And if it holds like this, then, you know, this is one of the, one of the best pitching prospects in, in baseball, I think. It's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, very promising. Oh, actually, I lied to you. I said that that, that uh, Kopech would be the the final player about whom I'd ask you regarding in the That's fine, Stars yeah. game. Uh, but it, Willie Calhoun is in fact the yes. last one. So, so little, go ahead, talk about well, Calhoun, Calhoun, Dodgers prospect, maybe a second baseman. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> What's he gonna play? Well, I, that's what everyone's, that's why everyone's been talking about him here over the last couple of weeks, because nobody knows where the hell this guy can play defense. Hasn't he not, he has played second he's base. He's played second base, yeah, so. He's played second base exclusively in the minor leagues. So he's a minor league second baseman. So literally, b- before you and I started talking, like, I'm writing up the Dodgers list for the site right now. And I was, I'm working on the Calhoun scouting report. Uh, hmm. so. Let me give you guys some background on Willie Calhoun, the Dodgers' second baseman. He went to U of A, University of Arizona, in Tucson as a freshman. Transferred out of U of A and to Yavapai uh, Junior College, which is in northern central-ish Arizona up in Prescott. They call it Prescott here. I still say Prescott, but I got to say Prescott in public so no one – Let me tell you, I love what you're doing, Randall. The amount of – the amount of context you're providing right now. Well, this now is, is really important, though. You're, I'm going to tell you why in a second. Yeah. Um, so Calhoun goes to Yavapai, and as a sophomore, goes a mm-hmm. like he had 35 home runs or something like that. 30, it's either 31 or 35 home runs uh, at, at Yavapai as a sophomore. And so I went to see him because he was leading all of college baseball in home runs. And, uh, I saw him play in a doubleheader. I saw him play the corner outfield. I saw him play second. I saw him play third. And the field at Yavapai, which is also at like a 5,000 foot elevation up in the mountains in Prescott, uh, is three, I think 310 down each of the lines. And I did not get to see him play there because the drainage at that field is so poor that anytime it rains, they go play at a local high school field with better drainage and the fences are even closer. Uh, so the, the home run numbers in college, uh, were fool's gold for a lot of people who knew about the hitting environment at Yavapai, even though they do play with wood bats. So, um, I see Calhoun and I think that yes, he can hit and yes, there is power in there, 
but neither I nor any of the Four Corners area scouts who I spoke with uh, about Calhoun at the time knew where the hell he was going to play. Like he couldn't play third base. It was pretty clear. Uh, and people were hoping he would just be passable at second base. So since he's been with the Dodgers, he's done nothing but mash, right? 28 home runs with Tulsa, I think, uh, last year. And we're like a year and a half removed from his sophomore year at a junior college. And he's already sort of on the precipice of the majors and hitting well in the fall league. And, but the problem is that like the body has continued to get really, really thick. Like he is built like a fire hydrant. And uh, he's five he, eight. He's, he's not five eight, eight, so he's definitely not five eight. <laughs> um, uh, Keith Law uh, from ESPN uh, was stood. Keith is five six. He stood next to Willie Calhoun at the Futures game. Willie Calhoun is five foot six, and probably uh, over two two bills. Like he's probably pushing two twenty. I'd say. Um, and he's so like it's a, a peculiar body. It's yes. But it's like it's, it's, shaped kind, it's, it's so shaped much kind of like now. your yeah. I'm just saying it's shaped, he's he's shaped more like a like a really powerful aunt. Yes, <laughs> right, like an like an aunt who runs an elephant ear stand at at local fairs. Yeah, definitely. He's in in Pennsylvania. He's like built like one of the women that make the pierogies for the church festivals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he's just like a he looks like an old Polish woman, basically. That's what you're attempting to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, like, but he's got six plus raw power. <laughs> like it's crazy, uh, and he hits too. Uh, his strikeout rate was shockingly low because there is some effort there. He does take monster hacks. Uh, and so I thought we were probably looking at like a 15 plus K rate, but it's down. It's like, it's below 10%. So he's got some bat to ball skills as well. Um, and so he had really good at bats last night. Not just even, I, I couldn't tell you what he did last night. I know he homered. Uh, and I think he had another hit, but he just grinded out good at bats. He spoiled a bunch of good pitches and fouled off stuff that he couldn't drive until he got something that he did. And, uh, yeah, he whacked it. So I think he can really hit. It's just no one knows where he's going to play. He's a three-runner, so people don't think he's even going to have enough in the way of speed to cover left fielder type of ground. And uh, he's he's not especially good at second base. I think the Dodgers are hoping that he's a four at second base, so they can just kind of stick him there and let him hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's 21, and the body is where it is, and it's you know that's disconcerting. So yeah, I, I he's a fascinating player. Can you remember a prospect that was quite like this, even remotely similar to this? Uh, that wasn't just like a first base only prospect. Somebody who could really, really, really hit, but had no position was sort of Brett. I mean, Brett Wallace didn't have this kind I of was, power. Yeah, I was thinking Brett Wallace, right? Well, right. So I guess the thing is, right? Like there actually has been, at least at some point, there's been a whiff of hope defensively, right? That's sure. the idea. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are, there are, you know, Vogelbach, for example, Dan Vogelbach, who, mm-hmm. what, drafted by the Cubs, traded in the, for Mike, Mike Montgomery to Seattle this past, uh, this past year. Um, of course, there have been a lot of questions about his physique and even his ability to play first base. Um, but he has, a, he's shown pretty good, uh, skills as, as a hitter. But he's always been a first baseman. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, some guys do, some guys do make, Pretty rapid, a pretty rapid descent 
down the defensive spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a, a lot of players were shortstop, shortstops when they were amateurs. Um, and you know, Michael Morse, for example, is a player yeah. who actually played shortstop. That was, I think, he already made his major league debut as a shortstop for the Mariners. And mm-hmm. by the end of his career, he did not look like a shortstop at all. Mm. So, so I guess there are situations. There are other players, right? And I, like half of them, I feel like, have come up through the Cardinals system, who are regarded as having no defensive value. You know, Matt Carpenter. Yeah, and even um, oh god, like Jed Jerko, they they acquired Jerko, and he's sort of yeah, that exactly type of, right. That type of player, like you, I don't think anyone is like, yeah, like Jed Jerko can play shortstop for me any day. Like I don't, I've never talked to anybody <laughs> like that. Right, and Alan Craig. I mean, you know, sure. Alan Craig had some some good years with that team. So they they've sort of looked at that sort of player, and and. It, and also, I don't know, somehow made it that they were also defensively fine, too. Because, like, I, I don't think Carpenter's really regarded as much of a liability anymore. I think he's regarded as, you know, something... Yeah, he's fine. I, I think probably, yeah. I think he's all five wherever he is, yeah. Yeah. And then you have other ones, like... I mean, where do you think he... How do, how do you think he relates to, like, a Dan Ugla, for example? He, I mean, he's got way more bat-to-ball than Dan yes. Ugla. Yeah, but Dan Ugla was also worth four or five wins for certain seasons. Right. I think that that's – if you're going to comp him to anybody, that that's sort of the guy. Ugla's defensive problems were more about his hands uh, and, and just being unable to make some routine plays because his hands were sto- stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Calhoun, it's more of just like a range and, and foot speed thing. He can He motors on the bases. But just his lateral agility is not where uh, like a middle infielder's needs to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the problems the the cause of their issues defensively at second base are different. But yeah, like it is that type of situation where you just kind of stick him there, and he's gonna he, he hits so you don't care that he's bad. Uh, then I guess there's also been generally uh, dogging Wilmer Flores. Yeah, for some time now has been the question about where he played defensively. Don't, don't you feel like don't you feel like Wilmer Flores? You know he's he's been sort of regarded as expendable by the Mets ever since he made his major league debut. Not that, not today. I mean they they did actually have a trade in place from one time famously, but he's also he's been uh, almost precisely a league average hitter. He's been almost a league average hitter since he debuted in over twelve hundred plate appearances. As Wilmer Flores, uh, he's only he's only played through his age twenty four season, so you would think that there's room just for you know, uh, uh, if not necessarily physical development. Of course, he could go the the wrong way so so far as that's concerned, because that's always been a, 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 a concern with him. But he he was a he was an above average hitter this year. Wilmer Flores, he posted an isolated uh, power figure of two hundred. He's projected to be a league average hitter next year, and there does not seem to be any inclination in the in the Mets to give him a starting uh, a starting job anywhere on the on the field. Yeah, I I, um, I think some of the decisions with playing time that Terry Collins has made uh, over the last year or so, my you know I don't know how much of what's going on there is dictated by the front office and how much is uh, dictated by Collins, but I think there have been some weird playing time quirks. That have skewed old. Like I would much rather have had Flores playing third than Jose Reyes at you know at the end of the year consistently for multiple reasons. I think yeah, you probably multiple, say right. Yeah, 
so I just I don't know if there's a, a weird uh, bias going on there toward veteran players, and I understand you know there's probably more there going on than we know about Flores, but I think he's yeah I think he's talented, and maybe he's not like a first division regular as a as a third baseman or even a second baseman, but yeah I think he can hit and uh, is is definitely a big leaguer who. Uh, Deserves more at bats than I think the Mets have given him, uh, considering what else they have on that roster at the corners. The, would you, I mean, if Wilmer was going to be an, an above average defensive first baseman, wouldn't you rather give him 400 at bats than James Loney? I, yeah, I think you'd have to. I mean, you'd want to, right? It would, don't you, are you just interested to see what he can do too? Sure. If, I if mean, he's, he's been given... in the organization since he was 16. Uh, they should know what he can do, but, uh, and I think everyone kind of does, and I think we all think that it's pretty a pretty serviceable uh, level of level of play. Right. I'm into and it. And I thought that he, I, I, I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. Why isn't anyone talking about this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else. I mean, they have. I think the the big thing with uh, some of the Mets fans I've spoken to, most of the, our conversations have begun with discussion of Tebow out here in the fall league, but everyone's concerned about the health of the pitching staff. That's everyone's. That's I think the the elephant in the room there among Mets fans is uh, how that no one in that rotation can can stay healthy. <clears throat> Eric, I'm uh, lying to you when I say that I would love to talk about the Mets system all day, um, but I'll say it anyway. Eric, I could talk to you about the Mets system all day, but I would like to turn the conversation to uh, no fewer than one. No fewer than one of three organizations, and th- these are the the three three possible uh, sources of our conversation, um, are the organizations you've covered in your excellent prospect reports, oh, Eric. Thank you. These are these are works of art. Uh, I mean, nowhere. I mean, not like great works of art. Like they they are works of art, but uh, they're great, and I think that you you you're adding you're contributing excellent prose. Um, and Chris Mitchell's doing a great job. Yeah, um, so is Sean his... too. Like I had, I do have to thank you too. Not you and Cameron yeah. and Sean Dolinar and uh, and Chris for like helping format these things because they do look sexy as hell. They look they look really good. Yeah, yeah and, really and we should say a lot of that is, is Sean Dolinar. Yeah, who's also like like basically every cool um, like new new utility or new tool. On the site over the last year is, is really the product of Sean Dolanar. He's he's done some really cool stuff, and he's the one who is responsible in um, in your pieces right now. Uh, all, all the tables uh, you you submit to him, I think, right? Or you and, and Chris, you help to uh, anyway. Chris inserts the tables, but Sean programmed the tables. They're really pretty, is the point. Mm. Um, and it's a it's a nice layout, uh, and uh, but these are these have been great. These have been these have been really great, Eric. And I guess you're gonna have what you're gonna have Dodgers ready for tomorrow. Is Dodgers ready for tomorrow? What's the uh, deal? It's it's gonna take some doing today, the rest of today to get it done for yeah. uh, Monday because the Padres list just took so so long. Yeah. Um, which it was fun to write about. It's a really good system, but like it did take forever. Um, so so you're you're including in sort of your your sort of main write up section. You're attempting to, and you have so far, addressed every player who's receiving a forty. Yeah. Uh, future value greater higher. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when you do that for the San Diego Padres, uh, you you uh, that's a that's a li- big bite upon mm-hmm. which to chew. Yeah, they just the sheer volume of dudes they have is it's overwhelming. 
So it was, uh, it was a lot of guys, but, uh, it's, it's a crazy fun system. Like it is, it is so much fun. To, it's going to be the next five years following all just the July 2nd signings alone is, is going to be a lot of fun. And I say nothing of uh, Hunter Renfro and Manny Margot and even some of the lower level guys like Phil Matone, the relief pitcher. Uh, these are, these are guys in the cusp of the major leagues who, you know, with in the, with Margot, I think is, could be a star. Renfro, I've always been a little more skeptical on, but talking to scouts about him, I, I've come around quite a bit. And uh, like, it's gonna be fun to watch this organization grow. Uh, and I just hope that they can they can all keep their collective shit together and and see it through because it's a really talented system. Right. Well, yeah, they're gonna they're getting a lot of help now. <clears throat> Unlike the first two systems at which you looked, which was the Arizona Diamondbacks, San Diego, no, sorry, Arizona Diamondbacks, San Francisco Giants, the Padres had a number of players, a half dozen players, maybe of those thirty-two, uh, for whom, for for example, here are some some telling signs. They do, they have no link. There's no player page for them at Fangraphs. Right. Yeah, that was fun they, to deal with. <laughs> There's no, uh, you, you know, you you have a um, a sort of section f- for each player where you provide some relevant or interesting metrics. They do not have any relevant or interesting metrics because mm-hmm. they essentially haven't played. They haven't played really like competitive professional baseball yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now, let me ask you: Is this a product of Preller? Is that like a direct product of uh, of Preller and his influence on the organization? Is this sort of this surfeit of of young players who, who at this point it's it's hard to really understand uh, or about whom it's 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 difficult to understand anything at this point. I think that there are probably a, a more external factors at play here than it is just Preller's reputation as an international scouting uh, like headhunter, you know, for for talented teenagers like this with. I think everyone has sort of anticipated the international draft coming for a while now. Um, and I think that there's motivation to get in on the Latin American market big while you still can. Because it's just the opportunity to do that isn't, it's just not going to be around much longer. Uh, and I think that has influenced teams that have gone heavy over the last few years is to try to get in while they still can. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I think that Preller has probably seen most of those guys in person, and uh, he's not going to waste his time seeing guys that he's not interested in acquiring. So mm-hmm. going to see 16- and 17-year-olds as a general manager is, is a pretty telling sign about the organization's philosophy in general, I think, and, uh, when, and where the, the org's priorities lie as far as talent acquisition goes. Like They are going big and they are going young. And uh, then it's just about trying to filter enough talent up through the system that it makes an impact on your major league roster. So we just have to see if that's something that the Padres can do, if it's a core competency of the of the organization. That's what's next. No, there is a player who's – now a lot of the guys who you know don't exist in the Fangraphs database, it's because they're 16. They've maybe – I don't know. They're probably playing at a complex in the Dominican, right? In most cases. Yeah, a lot of them. That even the ones that were here for fall instructional league have gone back to their home country for the off season. Okay, the one player with whom perhaps this is embarrassing for me to say, but uh, I was not familiar with him is Jorge Ona. 
mm-hmm. also not in the system, but he's a little bit older. He's 19 now, I guess. Uh, and he was uh, he was from Cuba. Could you could you discuss a little bit the circumstances of his signing and uh, what the outlook is for him? Yeah, the uh, the he's one of those weird Cuban tweener age guys uh, who were sort of straddling the the area between the where you're eligible for the bonus pools and you're not. I think he's twenty at this point now, um, but. We've seen Cuban talent leaving younger and younger as the years have gone on. We're well past the Levon Hernandez and Jose Contreras type of defections and now uh, have just completely blown through the, the mid to early 20s guys like we did with Cespedes and Rusni Castillo, Yasmani Tomas, and now all of the, the young teenagers have left as well. So he, this guy was sort of in a weird age grouping. Uh, it's not Lazarito. It's not Morejon. Uh, it's, it's a 20 year old with a mature body and a right handed field, uh, right field, traditional right field power profile basically. Um, there's some arm strength there and, uh, and power and it's just about is the bat advanced enough, uh, at this age that he's gonna hit his way up the ladder and profile in an outfield corner. He hasn't really played a whole lot of organized baseball. I think even if looking at his Siri Nacional stats, like he just didn't get a lot of bats there. And so when these guys leave Cuba, there's not infrastructure in Latin America to provide them with organized baseball unless they go to Mexico. There's nowhere to, there's nowhere to play in organized games. It's a lot of workouts on backfields with other teenagers and you know guys hitting ground balls to you and and that's sort of it. Um so for a 16-year-old, that's fine. You have time to refine the skills in America. But for a 20-year-old, if you come here and you're behind, your bat is behind by a few years of development because you just haven't played in games for a while, then that could be a problem. So he was one of the more divisive guys in the system, actually. Uh, having seen him during Instruction League, I do buy into the physical tools. I think the Cubans we've seen like this physically and as far as their development background lately have been very volatile performance-wise. Even just Gazio Puig embodies that entire thing. He was an overweight uh, guy that nobody was sure what he would do when he first came here as well and then was a star for a few months and now is like – this is just – it's – it's very hard, I think, to predict what these guys are going to do just because they don't often play in games before they come here. And Ona is sort of in that uh, – I think he's in that band of uncertainty as well. Right. So he's a, he's a little bit older, as you note. I mean three years older than is typical of, of the you know the, <clears throat> the July 2 guys. What, where will he – where will he end up this next year? I mean it, uh, it's not uncommon to see a very good 19-year-old prospect, for example um, – you know, playing certainly at low A or mm. or even high A, that especially if he's a top prospect, is that the prognosis for him, or is he going to be kind of hanging out in the lower levels for a while? I'd bet on him starting next year in the Midwest League at low A. The Padres affiliate is in Fort Wayne. I'm sure that'll be delightful to play and go from <laughs> uh, Cuba to Arizona in the fall and winter. Will that make him Fort a tin Wayne. cap? Will he be a He'll tin? Be a tin will cap, he be a tin yeah. cap, Eric? A little Johnny Appleseed pot on his head. Um, oh, I should uh, email the branding folks that did uh, Fort Wayne and tell them that the, the hats should be gray like pots and have like little metal dents on them. They'll eat that shit up. Um, 
we could have a whole discussion about the minor league team names that they've come up with lately. But but yeah, I do think I think it it probably depend on how he looks next spring. But I'd bet on him starting at low A and then moving up to the Cal League if he tears it up there. But I, I don't think – I think a high A assignment might be a little aggressive based on where he looked like he was at in, during Instructional League. Uh, the, the last player about whom I want to ask you uh, – now, typically over these first three lists, there has not been – there's not been uh, what I would say – I consider a ton of dissent uh, regarding your list. There have, uh, there have certainly been voices among the commenters or mm-hmm. maybe – uh, posting at another site to say, this is not where I would. This isn't where I would. The author says this is not where I would put the put this player. Mm-hmm. But I think generally, you have exhibited, um, for most readers, you exhibited a, a sort of internal logic, right? Say so by the standards that I'm using here, the methodology I'm employing, here is how I see these players, right? People say, okay. If there has <clears throat> been um, any dissent, though, uh, it seems as though it has been. The, it, the most volume is concerned. Austin Slater. Austin oh, Slater, okay. who is a Giants prospect. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there was there seems to be at, uh, among people who cover Giants prospects. I think maybe I, I, I do apologize, but whoever is the owner operator of when the Giants come to town, maybe is another one. Maybe even McCovey Chronicles. There, there were a couple commenters too on the post. Um, uh, I could also be lying about all those. I think I'm saying the right thing. I apologize if I'm not. Um, there seemed to be more enthusiasm among people who were covering the Giants system uh, about Austin Slater than you have for him. I'm wondering what might make him a a divisive prospect. He is. I think he's a he's listed at second base outfield, but I don't know if uh, in, I don't know if that's uh, revelatory in any way or not. He's. I've seen him play all over the place. I've seen him play center. Left, second base, I swear I've seen him play third base in Fall League. Um, and yeah, like, there are things to like about Austin Slater. I, I agree with, with, uh, that people are interested in, in this sort of upper level minor league performer. I think there are interesting bat to ball skills there. I just don't see, I just don't see power that profiles at the positions that he's able to play. I think at most, at at very most, you're looking at 40 game power, and just at second, third in the corner outfield spots, like I just don't, I just don't buy into that. Now, okay. um, the reasons for this, I just think it's a swing. It's a swing thing. It's there's not a whole lot of loft in the swing. Uh, the bat speed is sort of fringy for me. I think all the power wouldn't surprise me if. Um, all the power, if you looked at his spray charts, came just to the pull side. Like he, this is a guy that just really has to sell out for it to generate any sort of power. And I, I don't, unless that guy can play a premium defensive position, it's just not the, these aren't the kind of players that I'm uh, particularly high on. Now, uh, I do think that the, the hand-eye coordination is good. I think that he keeps things very simple and compact at the plate. I think he's got some bat control as well. And it wouldn't surprise me if he were, a play, uh, play third, play second, play an outfield corner and provide you some value because he can competently play a few positions and put the bat on the ball as a pinch hitter. Like, I think that's an interesting guy. But for me, that's like, um, like a 30, that's like a 35 on the 20 to 80 scale as far as future value concerned. It's an up and down bat. Like, uh, oh god, who am I thinking of? Like, like a Pete Orr type of player. Um, who, you know, I, I wouldn't, 
I'd bet on Austin Slater putting on a major league uniform at some point. And the 35 and below type of players in the system that I've been writing up have just sort of been my preference, and they just happen to be the younger, higher-ceiling guys. Um, so, like, yeah, I understand why people like Austin Slater. Um, it's just not for me. I don't think there's any <laughs> – I just don't think there's any real concrete big league value there uh, other than, you know – Providing you competent at bats and and defense, but I just don't, you know I think there are better options, and it's an up and down bat for me. And I just you know I just didn't write about him. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, hey, it does seem as though it seems as though the Giants have maybe more than other teams succeeded at kind of picking spots sure. for players like that. You know, because they've I mean they've gone a long way with Anhel Pagan, and I mean Anhel Pagan has played like a star, honestly, at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, if not for health, but you know they they've done a lot with Gregor Blanco as well. Um, so maybe you know maybe there is some reason to think that if if nothing else, that the Giants are the are a good fit for him. You know, sure, um, yeah. I think it's yeah. I've thought about uh, having teams, and again, it's the phrase of the day. Core competencies influence my evaluations of players. Like teams, like the Giants, the Giants and Cardinals are really, just really good at developing, you know, the milk toast white dudes who outperform everyone's expectations, right? Like they both do it. Uh, and if you want to say that Slater has some of those traits, that's sure. Um, but I, I think it's better for just me to stay grounded and objective and, and look at, uh, the player in a vacuum as opposed to what ballpark he might play in when he's in the big leagues or what organization he's in and what, you know. So, um, so yeah, and I think Cato was very favorable with Slater as well. And, you know, that was, it's a red flag. Uh, if, you know, for a guy that's not on the list at all, it's definitely something that when Chris's system and my eye totally disagree, that's a sign to me that like I need to go back and rework some things. And I just think based on what I told you about Slater that it's clear that I did that. This wasn't a guy I just ignored. It it's just it just wasn't it just wasn't quite enough for for me. Yeah. And if he's got sublime hitters timing and is able to make mediocre physical tools work in a way that is impactful at the big league level, then I'll just admit I was wrong and eat crow, and that's fine too. I mean, you've you've been much wronger before, so I don't think yeah. this would just be sort of a spectrum of yeah. wrongness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not so bad. Hey, Eric, I'm going to go meet some people for a drink at Salt Pine Social. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'm going to keep working on yeah. the Dodgers list and get going on the Rockies and try to have the Dodgers done for you tomorrow morning or at least for – Very interested in that Willie Calhoun write-up. Very oh, interested in it. It's on there. There are words about him. You have uh, – you've fulfilled your obligation, Eric Longanagan. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Carson. This is too All right. Stick around for one moment. That has been Eric Longanagan, who is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.